In Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, Jacob is running from Esau's fury, as Genesis 27 and verse 44 puts it. He's running away from Esau's fury because he had stolen Esau's blessing uh, after manipulating him out of his birthright. Jacob is running away from Esau's anger. And perhaps God's too? Does Jacob think that when he's far away from Isaac, that he'll also be far away from Isaac's God? We don't know, because the text doesn't tell us. But Jacob had just broken several of the Ten Commandments. So he has reason to hope so. In deceiving his elderly and vulnerable father, Jacob has taken God's name in vain. You remember he told a bald-faced lie? How did you get the game so quick? Yahweh, your God, granted me success. He dishonored his father. He stole that which was intended for another. And he lied. And all of this was precipitated by coveting. So Jacob had broken several of the Ten Commandments in that one incident. It was a very wicked act. And now he's running away from Esau at least, and perhaps even consciously away from God himself. The place at which he had come to this night was about 80 kilometers from where he had left which is roughly twice the distance from Oystens to Animal Flower Cave. And of course, he didn't catch a ZR, so he was walking that whole way. And you imagine it would have taken him some time. Most likely, this was probably the night, the second night. Chances are he had walked a whole day, slept somewhere else, walked a whole another day, and now had come to this place. Or he was just running on adrenaline that he had just covered that distance straight. In any case, he comes to a point where he's quite evidently exhausted. Because he just lays down in the open. And he grabs a stone for a pillow. So, what kind of situation are you in that you're just going to lay down? Exposed to wild animals, exposed to perhaps bandits, thieves. I'm not familiar enough with the geography of that area to speak knowledgeably to that. But in any case, he's not in a safe private dwelling. He's not in an inn. He's just out in the open. And how exhausted would you have to be not only to lay down in the open, but to take a stone for a pillow? I think this will do nicely. And so here he is in an exhausted state, most likely fearful. You think of if, if you were to just lay down in the open like this, you'd probably be pretty scared. And you'd have that probably that battle going on within you of trying to stay alert, but also trying to get some sleep. And you'd be in that weird back and forth thing. Until the sleep takes over, the exhaustion takes over, and you're out. And then, 
the very God that he has sinned against in this incident with Isaac appears to him in a dream. And so evidently you can run away from Isaac, from Isaac's household. You can run away from Esau, but you can't run away from the God of Isaac's household. God appears to him in a dream. Contrary to what we might expect, God deals graciously with Jacob. God condescends to him. I want you to notice the footnote, if you have an English Standard Version, the footnote attached to verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. If you have an ESV, the footnote says, or beside him. The Hebrew can be translated either way, apparently. And so we're left theologically to work out which is the correct translation. And I think actually, beside him is the better translation. And I'll come to, I'll come to my explanation for that in due time. But let me first just say this while we're on this thought. Jacob is running consciously away from Esau's fury and perhaps consciously away from the fury of Isaac's God as well. In any case, this God appears to him and obviously it makes an impression on him because in verse 17 it says, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? So when his dream begins and he sees God, it obviously wasn't something that that was trivial or something that failed to move him or failed to give him a sense of gravity. He sees a ladder stretching between heaven and earth. And then, at first, the horror, God is beside him. But the horror quickly turns to relief. Because again, contrary to expectations, God deals graciously with Jacob. God has come down to be beside him for his good. God promises to care for him. He says in verse 13, And following, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. The promise of land. Verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. The promise of many descendants. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The promise of the Messiah coming through Jacob's line. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God's presence and care for him. 
And God owns him. Takes him as his own. God is not now only the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But God is now also the God of Jacob. As he introduces himself to us and is referred to many times in the rest of scripture. God is, becomes explicitly in this text, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God, whom he has sinned against, appears to him in this dream. And at first he must have had that terrifying feeling that God is beside me. And yet that terror quickly gives way to relief as God is beside him for his good. Strangely, we read not a word of rebuke. Though this is right on the heels of a wicked sin. What we read is God reiterating to Jacob the very promises that he had made to Abraham in the first place. In fact, even word for word. Look back with me at Genesis 13, 14 to 17. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all of the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And Genesis fifteen thirteen to 16. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall, not, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then Genesis 22:16 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abram, Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God comes to Jacob and repeats almost word for word what he said to Abraham. His offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. The land on which he lies will belong to him and to his offspring. Everything to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in his seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What we see here, certainly, is God dealing graciously with Jacob. Now, before we consider Jacob's 
response. I just want to make a case for the translation of verse 13 as beside him instead of above it. We will recall if we think back to the Tower of Babel incident that in the ancient Near East there was a common thought that the way that you get close to the gods was to build tall structures with stairways or ladders going up to the top and you would ascend to the top and then God would meet you at the top of those structures and that was the whole logic of the Tower of Babel it seems here that God gives Jacob a dream in which he uses that paradigm of a meeting place between God and man that would be common to Jacob from his awareness of the nations around him and the practices, the religious practices of the people around him. But there's one big difference. Man doesn't ascend to God, but God descends to man. That's the first... I should have said I'm introducing my case because that's the first point and we're going to move on from there and I'll come back to make another argument for that translation a little bit later on so God meets with Jacob certainly that's beyond dispute God deals graciously with Jacob that's beyond dispute and I think that theologically there's a strong case for God coming down the ladder to be beside Jacob to deal graciously with him from there Let's now consider Jacob's response. Jacob awoke from his sleep in verse 16 and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob has that experience that the psalmist writes about in Psalm 96. He's rejoicing with trembling. He's afraid, but obviously he's not afraid in a bad sense. God has come and dealt only grace to him. There's not a word of rebuke even, let alone any any further consequences beyond just words. There's not even words, let alone anything else. So Jacob has um, great reason to be happy, great reason to rejoice. But because he has met with Yahweh, he also has great reason to tremble. So here he is, afraid, saying, how awesome is this place. So early in the morning, we read verse 18, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. This seems to be just a common religious practice of the day to honor a God. Jacob is doing something here that's a response, whether God commanded it or whether it, even as we talked about this morning, was maybe an ill-guided attempt to honor God. In any case, it seems that Jacob's desire was to honor God by this action. He takes the stone, makes it something of a memorial, pours oil on top of it, You recognize he's not traveling with a lot of possessions. So putting a little bit of oil on top of the stone was also a costly thing for him. 
if he had nothing soft to sleep on and had to get a stone to put under his head. Most likely he's not traveling with backpacks full of extra sets of clothes and things like this. So what little possessions he has, he expends in this ceremony, intended at least to honor God, however God viewed it. Then Jacob made a vow saying, verse 20, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Some of the commentators see this as Jacob negotiating and bartering and being wily again. Because there's the if and then language. So God, if you do this for me, then. But you'll remember that in verse 17, he was afraid. In this instance, Jacob is possessed by the fear of God. And so this doesn't seem to be an if-then, like, well, I don't know, prove yourself first, and then if you do that, then this. I think it's more like, well, if God is going to do all of these things, if God is going to be with me, if God is going to keep me in the way that I go, if God is going to give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come to my Father's house again in peace, well then, of course, the Lord will be my God. This is a response of wholehearted devotion and faith in what God has just said. Jacob basically repeats verbatim what God had already promised to do and then says, if God's going to do those things for me, then He is my God. He is going to be my God. So not only does God say that He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob says that He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is my God. Not only does God own Jacob, but Jacob owns God. This is the response of wholehearted devotion to God in view of what God has promised. Let's consider now the similarities between God's dealings with Jacob and God's dealings with us. God comes to us in grace. God comes to us in grace. Just as in Jacob's day, all of the other religions were religions of ascending the stairway to heaven. But when Yahweh appears, he comes down the stairway to be beside Jacob. So it is in our day. All of the other religions are religions of ascending a stairway of morality, ascending a stairway of asceticism, piety, whatever it may be, in order that we may attain to God. But what we see is that the one true religion is God coming to us. And now we visit the second point in my case for this translation of verse 13 beside him instead of above it in John chapter 1 and verse 51 Jesus says 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's that an allusion to? If that's not an allusion to Jacob's letter, I have no idea what that means. Jesus is alluding to this story. And he's essentially saying, I am the ladder. And from where did Jesus speak those words? From the top of the ladder? From above it? Or from beside us? You recognize that Jesus is that bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus is the connection point between heaven and earth. And Jesus didn't speak those words from above the ladder. Jesus spoke those words from beside us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus spoke those words from beside us. Jesus is essentially teaching us in John chapter 1 and verse 51 that the ladder in Genesis 28 resembled himself. And it is by means of him that God has come to be beside us for our good. In Christ, God has condescended to us. We are sinners just as Jacob. We would have every reason outside of Christ Jesus to fear that we would run into Yahweh. And yet Yahweh has appeared to us. But like in Genesis 28, contrary to expectations, God has not dealt with us as our sins deserved. But God has come down to us to be beside us for our good. God has... not treated us as our sins deserve. He says, I will remember their iniquities no more. Just as when God came and didn't deal heavy-handedly with Jacob's sin, so He has come to all of us who are in Christ Jesus and hasn't dealt with us heavy-handedly about our sin. But where we might have expected words of condemnation, He has come to us in Christ with words of blessing, words of promise. God, in Christ, owns us. God is not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but God is also the God of John, and Leslie, Shamar, God in Christ owns us. God in Christ is bringing to fulfillment all of those things that He promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He is making us into a nation. 
united to Christ Jesus. The true Israel, as the New Testament calls us. In Christ Jesus, He is blessing us who are part of that great multitude from every tribe and language and people and nation. So vast that no one can count. God is bringing to fulfillment in Christ for us that promise that in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We read in the scriptures that we shall inherit the earth. The righteous shall never be moved. That God will gather out of here all of those evildoers. Make new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And His dwelling place will be with us. The land, not just that land, but all the land will be ours. God is giving to us a place. He is gathering us together under His Son into a kingdom, into a nation. God is gathering all of us into a people, blessing us through His Son. God is in Christ bringing to fulfillment all of the things He promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob for us. And I mentioned, I would mention also that in Christ, God sends His angels to care for us. We don't, let me say our tradition is not known for our developed angelology. But Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 teaches us the angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. In Genesis 28, prior to God's gracious words to him, Jacob had every reason to expect that the angels he saw descending were there to make war upon him as they had made war upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Likewise, outside of Christ, we would have every reason to expect that angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man would be descending to make war upon us as they made war upon Sodom and Gomorrah and ages gone. But what we come to understand when we recognize that in Genesis 28, God came down the ladder to be beside Jacob for his good. So the angels were coming down that ladder to be beside him for his good. And so when Jesus takes on flesh and dwells among us and has come down the ladder to be beside us for our good and tells us that angels ascend and descend upon him, we understand that the angels descending are descending for our good. They are spirits ministering, sent out to serve for the sake of those 
who are to inherit salvation. So in Christ, God has come to us for our good together with His ministering spirits, His angelic host, who serve Him for our good as those who are to inherit salvation. Yes, in Christ, God has come all the way down. He doesn't speak words from the top of the ladder as if we need to ascend it in order to hear what He's saying or as if we need to ascend it in order to meet with Him or to attain to these blessings. But in Christ, God has come down the stairway to be beside us for our good, to bring to fulfillment all of the things promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is by means of that ladder, Christ Jesus, that all of the blessings that God has for His people come, including, among other things, this angelic service and care that we read about in Hebrews. And as God promised to Jacob to be with him as he leaves the land and to bring him back. Incidentally, I don't know if you noticed, but just as he promised to Abraham that he would be with Abraham's descendants as they leave the land and then bring them back. After promising that to Abraham, he promises it again here to Jacob. And we have a similar promise that God will be with us all the journey through and then will bring us home. I will not, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Behold, I am with thee always, even to the end of the age. And in Revelation 21, we read, God's dwelling place is with man. God will be with us all the journey through. And as He brought Jacob home, so He will bring us home. These glorious truths call for the same response from us as they elicited from Jacob. If then, if then, this is who God has promised to be to us in Christ. If God is the one who will come down the stairway to me to bless, if God is the one who has come down the stairway to bring to fulfillment to me, all of the promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. If God has come all the way down the stairway to me, with His host of angels, not to make war on me, but to care for me, to serve me, to protect me. 
if God has come down the stairway to me, not to treat me as my sins deserve, but to forget them and to remember them no more. If God has come all the way down the stairway to me, to be with me all the journey through, and then to bring me back home. If God in Christ shall be all these things to me, then with Jacob we ought to say, then that God shall be my God. Then the Lord shall be my God.